Good morning. My name is David Vaughn. I'm so excited you're here in person or watching online. Those in the room, let's welcome our online campus here this morning. We're glad you're here, especially since you lost an hour. I'm impressed. And if you're going to be on Facebook later, you're going to lose another hour. Anyway, uh, just saying. One time when I was in Bible college, when I was living in a dorm room, I went away for the Christmas vacation holiday, about two and a half weeks. A good thing. Bad thing, I accidentally left an open carton of milk and some leftover Mexican food, which is my love language food, in the small refrigerator in the room. And the refrigerator door wasn't shut all the way. Mm Mm-hmm. When I got back, before my roommate appeared, I opened my dorm room door, I noticed something. Smelled worse than normal, smelled worse than he did normally. So I got a rag, like some of you might do, I got a rag, I got some Clorox with some water, I started really cleaning the outside of that fridge. Oh, it could have passed a marine boot camp inspection. It was sparkling, but you know what? Amazingly, it still smelled bad inside my room. Now, I know what you're thinking. Who would concentrate so much on the outside of a refrigerator when the problem is on the inside? That's so funny. I ask the same thing about people. Why do we put so much attention on the outside, looking good, being so blessed, so styling on the outside? But what really needs attention is transformation on the inside. And that brings us to our beatitude today. I think this is exactly why Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Read that with me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, Jesus made it clear that the way to transform your life, the way to be blessed is by changing not the outside, oh, that'll come with time, but changing the inside, which is your heart, which is hard work, by the way. This is one of the most important Beatitudes. We're studying the Beatitudes together. So whether this is your first time watching online, first time here in person, whether you've been a a Christ follower for decades, this today is going to be a key part of the formula for more joy and blessing, and perhaps may be for someone watching today for the first time, the missing ingredient from your life that's keeping you from being fruitful and fulfilled. So pay attention today. I'm going to help you not clean out the fridge, although that may be a good lesson to you. Maybe put some baking soda in there. I'm going to help you clean out and make up your everyday life from the inside. So here's a question I like to pose as we jump in this today. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Now, this is good to ask and good to know and good to answer because of the huge payoff, Jesus says, will happen when we are pure in heart. We will see God. So today, I want to unpack those three little words in this beautiful beatitude of blessing. Say that fast three times, this beautiful beatitude of blessing. Pure in heart. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, David, I don't know about this purity stuff, but let me tell you, purity is a wonderful thing. If COVID has shown us anything, it's that purity matters. The words that come to mind when we think of purity are undefiled or uncontaminated, and 
we are quite serious, are we not, in our culture about purity in our society. So serious are we as a society, in fact, that there is a whole department of the federal government, the Food and Drug Administration, that's charged with monitoring and protecting the purity of what we eat. But I want to hear you to hear today, our standards of purity, even for the federal government, are not always what we might hope for. Let me read to you some actual federal guidelines of purity from a few familiar products. First of all, coffee beans. Oh, caffeine addicts, beware. Coffee beans will get withdrawn from the market if an average of 10% or more are insect-infested, or if there is one live insect in each of two or more immediate containers. Evidently, the FDA says people just don't like getting too many live insects with their coffee beans. One container is okay. More than that, nuh-uh, draw the line. Mushrooms. Anybody here like mushrooms? You won't after I read this. Mushrooms can't be sold if there is an average of 20 or more maggots of any size per 15 grams of dried mushrooms. Fig paste. I'm not talking about fig newtons now. Fig paste. If there are more than 13 insect heads per 100 grams of fig paste in each of two or more subsamples, the FDA ruthlessly tosses the whole batch. Apparently, other insect body parts are tolerated, but we can't be having those heads. Hot dogs. You don't even want to know about that. I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not even going to. Man, we care, don't we, about purity? It's important right now. And it may surprise you today, watching online or in person, that purity is a word that's greatly prized in the New Testament, too. Unfortunately, in our sophisticated and erudite day, it has been largely lost. Purity sounds quaint, Victorian, a bit prudish. The word pure in the Bible means unmixed, unadulterated, unblemished. Gold that has its dross removed is pure gold. Wheat that has all the chaff blown away is pure wheat. And a pure heart, although not perfect, and I want to drill down on that in a minute, a pure heart is not one that's perfect, but it is one that is not continually polluted by deception and double dealing and deceit. A pure Christ follower does not pretend to be an angel here on Sunday, but then act like the devil all week. It doesn't pray piously around Christians and then cuss continuously on the golf course. I played with some of y'all. Maybe you played with me on a bad day. There is this two-word phrase that I want you to use to describe the pure in heart. Transparent integrity. The pure in heart have a transparent integrity. They're honest to the core. Not perfect, but pure in motive, intent, in heart. King David in the Old Testament was called a man after God's own, am I now? Heart. But he also committed adultery and murder. How can that be? Because his intent, his motive, he always returned to God. He didn't try to be, at least long term, that which he was not. In fact, it says over in Acts, post Bathsheba now, that David served God's purposes in his generation. In spite of all he did, he fulfilled God's purpose. So being pure in heart today, I'm just telling you, 
I've been watching myself all week. This is a problem. Because many of us appear to wear masks or makeup to conceal our flaws. But the blessed life, the purity in heart life demands that we learn to live spiritually with no cosmetics. (laughs) Now, I hope you ladies will understand where I'm going with this. And some guys too, perhaps. One of the defining moments in any dating relationship is the first time the man sees the woman without makeup on. Ladies, is this not true? It's a scary time. Turn away, I'm hideous, or look at me, I'm beautiful. Guys care probably less about that than we do. I had a great uh, buddy in Bible college, and he started to date this pretty little gal from Georgia. And she was great, but I noticed she wore a ton of makeup. I'm not talking about a little bit. I'm talking about a lot. Mary Kay, I don't know how much she spent on that. And my buddy and this girl were getting quite serious. So one day I asked him, have you ever seen her without her makeup on? Now, guys, this is a legitimate question because you may get married if you haven't seen that turn over and say, who who is this? He said, no. I've never seen her without her makeup on. And I suggested innocently that that should occur before they moved on. (laughs) They broke up not long after that. (laughs) I felt so bad, so now I've confessed it. If you're watching today, I'm so sorry. I guess I'm not a very good counselor. See, makeup is simply, if you think about it, the art of facial management. Makeup is designed to make our eyes look bigger, our lips look fuller, our noses look nosier. I don't know if I said that right, but (laughs) makeup, if you think about it, it enhances our face by hiding the blemishes and the flaws. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There are churches that say no makeup. They're, They're not very big churches, but anyway, they say no makeup. I'm not saying that. It's okay to wear that, men or women. I'm not against it. I'm sure that it helps. But if I, (laughs) let let me just keep moving on. I'm in the deep now. But if I am honest with you and I'm honest with myself, even though I've never put on physical makeup, although they have tempted to dot some powder on my bald head for the reflection of the light, if I'm honest, I wear too much makeup. Not the Mary Kay kind or the Revlon kind or the Kardashian kind. The spiritual kind that makes me, for some reason, want to appear better and lovelier than I really am. Are you like that? So the move to a blessed life that I'm trying to make and enjoy is a move toward authenticity and away from vanity and duplicity. That's the word. In fact, Proverbs 11.3 says this, the integrity of the upright guides them. That's the pure in heart. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The Bible calls that duplicity factor a double-minded man or woman. Now, the Apostle Paul, over in the New Testament, when he wrote to this a church in Corinth, he talked about how it's possible for people to live like this. Paul uses a line in retelling the story of Moses, who was meeting with God on Mount Sinai. And since he met with God so much, he was up there so long, when he came back down from the mountain, his face was just glowing. It it, it was lit up. He needed some powder. 
In our day, we talk about happy people having faces that just beam, and people have always used one adjective to describe that bride when she comes down the aisle, radiant. Well, Moses' face, once he came down off the mountain with God, was radiant, and I'm guessing the people around Moses were impressed by this because he was glowing. He was special. It was special. But one morning... Moses woke up and looked in the mirror while shaving with his new Gillette Pro Glide and notices his face is not glowing quite so much. He was losing his radiance, but he didn't want to tell anybody about that. He was losing it faster than the way some of us lose our tan here in Ohio come September. It's fading quick. And Moses knew that people would recognize this and perhaps be less impressed with him, and he wouldn't be so special anymore. So Paul, in the Corinthian letter, writes that Moses, you know what he did? He put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Now, normally in their day, the women wore the veils, not the men. We don't know how long Moses wore that veil until he finally decided to take it off, my guess is when his wife said, Moses, take that stupid veil off. That's what I'm thinking. And what a relief, though, it must have been for him to finally remove the veil, the mask, the makeup, to let people see plain old Moses. And Paul uses this story of Moses to connect with his audience and convict the Jewish people that they also needed to drop some of their legalistic veils, their resistance to Christ. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 15. Even to this day, when Moses is read, when the law is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That pretense is not needed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'm pretty sure we sing that song here a lot. And we all who with, check this phrase, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, not our glory, His glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friend, I have good news to you in this room and those watching online. Some of you watching at home, you have yet to put on your makeup today. That's why you're watching from home, perhaps, and why you like it. But I have good news for all of you here today watching. You don't have to live with a mask or a veil on. You can be like Moses too, friend. You don't have to pretend that you're better than you really are. We know you're not, and he knows you're not. We can all learn to live with unveiled faces. No concealing, no masking up, no hiding. So just let me pause here and ask you a very personal question. I want you to think about it. Don't answer out loud. Maybe talk to your spouse afterward. Maybe talk to your friends afterward. What do you hide behind to keep you from being alone? What do you hide behind that's keeping you from being real? What things are you hiding behind to conceal your own secret impurities? See, some people hide behind superficial conversation. They never let you go deep. Some people hide behind humor. 
That's my default, by the way. When it gets a little stressful, I just say something funny. Some people use their intelligence as a veil. Others hide behind business success or personal net worth. Some hide behind very high-tech veils of cell phones and mouses. Why do we do that? Because veils protect us, we think, and veils impress people. But here's the irony. We are drawn to people who live with unveiled faces. Those that we really admire are those who have taken off the mask and said, here's the real me. I'm not what I used to be and I'm not what I, you know, want to be, but here's who I am today. And we're like magnets drawn to that kind of purity of face, but purity of heart. Alan McGinnis wrote that Pope John XXIII was one of the most beloved religious leaders of the 20th century. He elicited admiration and warmth from people everywhere he went, partly because, I would say mostly because, he lacked pretense. He never pretended to be more than he was. Pope John XXIII struggled all of his life with weight. He was the son of a poor peasant family. One of his first acts after being elected pope was to visit this large jail in Rome. And as he was giving the prisoners his blessing, he remarked that the last time he'd been in jail was to visit his cousin. Not many popes or presidents would admit that. I love this. One time the pope was at a party when a woman wearing a very low-cut dress walked in. And John commented afterward that one of the hard things about being a pope is usually if a woman like that walks into a party, everybody looks at her. He said, if I'm at a party and a woman like that walks in, everybody looks at me. (laughs) I get that. But don't you just love someone who's down to earth, who's unveiled in their approach to life? I'm not who I was. I'm not who I want to be, but this is who I am today. So here's the potent question for you today. What on time change Sunday? What's your veil? What's your veil? What's your makeup? What's your mask? If you're not sure, the people closest to you would be glad to tell you (laughs) if you just ask them and give them permission to be authentic and don't get mad when they give you an answer. I have come to the conclusion that what God wants is not perfection, but realness. What he wants is the real you to meet the real him in real relationship. Not this phony, even religion, which was what Paul was trying to get the Corinthians to understand. Don't come to him with obedience to the law. That's not going to please God. He wants to know who you really are in Jesus. I heard a man say that one of the things he loves so much about children is that they haven't learned to manage their faces yet. When an ice cream truck comes or they have spinach or there's a monster under the bed, their faces tell you immediately what's in their hearts. But as we get older, we learn to manage our faces and our countenances. We teach our faces how to conceal and guard. We practice face and veil management. And all of us, if we're honest, are used to wearing masks, whether it's Halloween or not, physically and spiritually. But being pure in heart demands that we live spiritually, again, with no spiritual cosmetics. When we're pure in heart, we don't have to cover up our past because it's buried in the deepest sea by Jesus Christ. In fact, that thing that you're ashamed of today, that scandal that you want to keep secret may very well be the thing that sets you and someone else free if you just take off the mask. 
Our motives are open books. We have no agenda other than God's agenda. With Jesus and then with others, we've got nothing to lose and everything to gain by removing that mask and see with reveal with unveiled faces the true people we are. So I think Jesus is asking us here, do you want to be joyful and blessed? Yes, then live a life of purity and transparency. Because here's what I know. It's a lot easier than living every day constantly covering things up. Ten years ago, my wife planned a surprise 50th birthday party for me. It seems like yesterday, but it was a decade ago. She invited out-of-town family and friends along with our entire Whitewater family at that time. And afterwards, my best friend, John Hampton, who was in on the secret planning of the party, said to me, I am so glad this day is finally here. It's been exhausting living a lie with you. That phrase has stuck with me a long time because some of you know exactly what I mean. It is exhausting you to live a lie. It's a heavy burden to carry. That's why a sure formula for misery is just to live a life of phoniness and pretense. That's what it means to be pure in heart. And notice our goal is to be pure in heart. So much, the outside matters. What people see matters. But focus on the inside because if you watch the religious leaders, they had the outside looking good. But inside, Jesus said, were dead man's bones. They were dead men walking. Don't worry about the outside. If you take care of the heart, the inside, the outside will take care of itself. See, we normally use the word heart to refer to our emotions. I love you with all my heart. I heart, I heart my church. I heart, I love my reds so far. I love my skyline. I love my coffee. Now, now I don't, Dave, you've ruined it because I know what's in it. But the Bible uses the term heart in three different ways. The first way indeed refers to our emotions. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. But the Bible also uses the word heart to refer to our intellect. In Mark 2, it says that Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. There's a third way the Bible uses the word heart, and it refers to our will. Daniel 1.8 tells us that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile God. So it's the mind, it's the body, it's the spirit. The Bible uses the word heart to describe the entire inner man with all of his functions and his feelings, the emotions, the intellect, the will. That's why Proverbs 4.23, written by Solomon, wisest man who didn't always act wise, wisest man who ever lived, said this, above all else, guard what? Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And here's the problem with the heart. It can fool you regularly if it's not informed. <laughs> think about all the decisions you've ever made. Buying a car, maybe dating a girl, maybe getting married. I, I, I think of all buying a house. New set of golf clubs, which look every good, real good to me every spring. Pray for me. Anyway... Think of all the decisions you make. If you were honest, you would say that most people's, your decisions are made with the heart. And the head comes along as a willing accomplice. In fact, you never do anything if you just used your head. It don't make sense to have kids. <laughs> I mean, really, think about what it cost you. You made it with your heart. Your head came along. It, it doesn't make sense to do a lot of things. 
the heart then has to be trained because it can fool you. That's why Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? Which means that we can talk ourselves into compromise or condoning things that are wrong all in the name of right. Country music star Willie Nelson, any of y'all like Willie? There's a lot going on with Willie. But Willie Nelson at one time owned a golf course, and he said the great thing about owning a golf course was that he could decide what par was for every hole. He pointed at one hole and said, see that hole there? That's a par 47. Yesterday I birdied it. I've been an, a student of people. Sometimes I've noticed, not sometimes, oftentimes, people doing something wrong or behaving badly will justify it, and they'll say something like this, I just don't see what's wrong with this or that. Have, have you ever heard anybody say that? when they know, It's clearly not in here, and it's wrong, but they'll say, or maybe you will say, I don't see what's wrong with this or that. And if you've ever said that or heard someone say, you have diagnosed your problem beautifully, you've said it, I can't see. Because what prolonged sin does is it cuts the optic nerve of the soul. And that which was wrong is suddenly right. And that which is right is suddenly wrong. And I just described to you our upside down world in which we live. We celebrate evil. And we criticize good. But if we become, and when we become pure in heart, Jesus tells us that we will enjoy this huge reward. We will see God. And I've been thinking about that too, not just because I'm at 60 now soon and not 50. I've been thinking about that. What does God look like? Oh, that's a whole other message. I know some of you think you've got him figured out. He probably looks nothing like you think he does. If your vision and your view and your picture of God is this old guy with a long white beard and a long white robe and sandals and big toes and that's almost blasphemous. He's as real and he's as fresh and he's as new and he's as powerful as you can imagine. He's waiting on you to catch up. He's not a has-been and he will not delay his hand of justice forever. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to follow God. And did you notice here that this purity thing that we're talking about if you want to see God before the seeing comes the purifying. Those that are pure in heart will be the ones that see God. Now the counter then would also be true. If you're not pure in heart, you won't see God at all. And that's why I think a lot of people don't believe in God. It's because they have trained themselves not to see him. Because we are trained to see what we are trained to see. We see what we are guided and trained and disciplined to see. Think about that with me. Some of you all work with your hands. Let's say you're a painter. A painter can immediately walk into a room and see a cracked place that needs to be caulked. Uh, a specialist can look at a sonogram and say, oh, there's the baby's feet, there's the head. I've been looking at some of those pictures, you know, I, I can't tell what I'm looking at here. Is this a monster? Or is this a baby right here? There, there's his feet. There's his head. Do you see it? A specialist can tell you that because they're trained to see it. 
My dad uh, in heaven now was a bricklayer, started building churches actually, and that's how he came to faith. He started laying block out in the church and the preacher would come out every day, little tiny church, and bring him coffee and they would talk about God. And one day he said, do you need a relationship with this Jesus? And then further, this little country preacher in Catlinsburg, Kentucky said to my dad, well, you know, I think you should be building the church inside and not just outside. And that little tiny country church preacher, probably no more than 10, 12 people in his church, set off a cosmic ripple of God's amazing grace where my dad and mom got baptized and became a Christian and they raised me. I would not be a Christian, let alone a preacher, if it weren't for my dad, but if it weren't for that little country preacher who probably thought I have failed. Look at how small my church is. Look at what I have done. But my dad, the bricklayer, became my dad, the preacher. So I invited him to our grand opening here of phase one. I was so excited for him to see the building. And when we were walking through, he looked at the concrete block. And he said, "Mm." now you never want your dad to say that. I wanted him to be proud. He said, in my day, he said, son, the standards have changed. Not that we have a poor building. We have a great building. But he said, in my day, that brick line, that mortar line had to be vertically aligned exactly right. Or my, my dad, my boss, he said, would kick it down and we had to start again. Why did he do that? Because we see what we're trained to see. Years ago, I invited one of our fire chiefs in our area to our service. I was so excited, and he sat up on the front row. And I noticed he watched me, but he kept looking off to the side. And so afterward, I asked him, I said, hey, did you enjoy the service? He said, yeah, it was great. He said, but I got to tell you, I was distracted because all during the message, all I could notice was that one of your exit lights was out. I said, well, if you come back next week, I promise we'll get that exit light fixed. Why did he do that? We're trained to see what we're trained to see. So those trained and not hindered or blocked by a mask, a veil, are able to see God work, listen to me, in ways that you cannot imagine. The pure in heart can see God at work in a couple things. Number one, the pure in heart can see God in creation. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You can't look at creation if you're a Christ follower and a pure in heart person and not see what God has done. The world, an unbelieving world, might look at creation and see it as a cosmological accident. But the Christian, the pure in heart, looks at creation, looks at how babies are even born. If you, if you don't believe in God... You go through the birth process. You watch the process go uh, unfold and tell me that there's not a God. That stuff just does not accidentally happen the way it does. Our bodies, our creation are hugely testifying that there is an intelligent being. And more than that, that intelligent being loves you more than you can imagine. The pure in heart can see God also in circumstances that the world can't see. Even COVID. See, the world may look at an event and say, oh, that's just an obstacle. But the pure in heart person who walks in faith said, oh, that's not an obstacle. That's an opportunity. Those who are concerned about righteousness on the outside, they see God's law as a a have-to thing. But those who walk in faith or in pure in heart, they see it as a get-to thing. 
Those who are far away from God may look at some circumstances in your life and may even tell you, oh, that's a coincidence. But the pure in heart look at those same circumstances and say, oh, that's not coincidence. That's providence. I see God everywhere. I see God at work everywhere. And if you will train your eye to see him this week, you'll see him in ways that you have never seen him before. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding the way you see it, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. The pure in heart also see God in people. They see God at work in creation. They see him in circumstances. They see him in people. Because Jesus said that when, not if, but when we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the sick, and those who are in prison, I am there. You are visiting me. You are seeing me. We see and serve him. So when you this week serve in humility, in integrity, others see Christ in you. And if you look closely... You will see God's hand, his heart, his work in someone cleverly disguised as someone in need. And I'm convinced that we entertain angels unaware and we serve the Son of God in ways you will not know till you get to heaven. And eventually, the pure in heart, that will get that true blessing because they have the promise one day in heaven that they will see God face to face. They will see the one who died on the cross for our sins, and you will fall down at the nail-pierced feet of that one, and we will know as we are fully known. Well, as I close, let me give you two simple steps to attain or maintain this purity of heart, because I'm going to tell you right now, this is a hard one, because we live, honestly, we live in a compromised and a polluted and a sordid world. I think of TV when I was growing up and TV what it is now. Well, no matter what screen you look at. I remember my parents trying to guide my eyes so that I would see and not see the right thing to maintain this little tiny heart of purity. I remember when they had cigarette commercials on TV. When I was little, and I remember my grandmother putting her hand over my eyes and say, don't watch that. Don't watch that. Smoking. Now, what would my grandma be putting over my eyes today on Netflix or regular TV? Don't look at that. So let me give you two suggestions on attaining and maintaining. The first comes from Psalm 119. How can a young person, and we'll say all of us are young for this purpose, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This has to be washed over your life every single day to keep it clean. Laundry time with God. You're not going to hide God's word in your heart by just one hour of service each week. It's a daily saturation, a daily renewal. Often when people buy a Bible, which I love, they'll bring it on their birthday or Christmas or some uh, occasion where they got their Bible, and they'll ask me to, to, to sign it. Now, I'm very uncomfortable signing Bibles. Could I just say that to you? Because like 
I'm not the author. I'm not like living up to all these things myself. I, I, I hesitate to put my name. So what I started doing, and I know what they mean. They want it to be special. So I will still like write my initials, but here's the note I will write. This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. Whenever somebody starts to decline in their life, one of the first questions I ask them, how often do you read the Bible? And if they're honest, and they don't lie, they'll say, you know, I gave up on that a long time ago. Just because you read it doesn't mean you won't fall. All of us, can ha- that can happen any ba- on any bad day, in any temptation. But I'm telling you, this book will keep you pure. Hebrews 10 also gives us a second way to aspire to purity. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. There's our word again, a sincere heart. In full assurance, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. If you feel guilty today, there's a way to get that out of your life. I'm going to tell you. And having our bodies washed with pure water. See, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in faith, when we repent of our sins, when we confess him as Lord of our life, when we're baptized into him, when we go all in, we experience this spiritual cleansing that can only come from God. In fact, he gives us a brand new heart. Why do you think there's rejoicing in that water this morning when she was baptized, when she came up out of the water? There's something about the freedom that comes in Jesus. There's something about feeling clean. And maybe it is your time to do that. In fact, Easter may be your time. We're planning on and praying for lots of baptisms on Easter Sunday. Our theme is graves and gardens, man. We got three services. We're praying it'll kind of be a mini, M-I-N-I, all in, where we welcome people to come and show the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. If you've been watching online, man, come back Easter. We'd love to meet you in person. Some have not been back in a year. We'd love to. Man, it's great you're watching online Come visit us on Easter, and maybe some of you in this room or watching online need to go all in. I'd just like to see somebody go to get off that 13. Anyway, uh, that's, that's kind of on my mind. Why do you think there's rejoicing when someone comes up? There's something about a guilty conscience that's cleansed when we wash. So you get pure by being baptized. You stay pure with a Bible and a buddy that keep you accountable. So you are washed by the word and you're washed by the water. And Jesus says, when we do those two things, that means we're going to be blessed. That means we can be pure in heart. We can see God. But the first step for you in this room and watching here online is simply humbly coming to God and saying, God, I don't want to wear a mask anymore. I'm tired of hiding Do you know anybody that's hiding? Anybody here hiding? There's no healing in hiding. And as they would say in our Celebrate Recovery program, you're only as sick as your secret. The first step is to say, God, I need you. And guess what? He will accept you. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, especially watching online. Oh, David, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the masks that I have worn. I don't even know who I am anymore. 
You don't know my scandal. You don't know my story. You don't know the whole truth about me. If you really knew who I was or what I did, you'd stone me. Trust me. His love and his grace are real. And some of us are here in this room today. Some of us are gathered today telling now other people about Jesus because we are self-received that grace. His grace remains stronger than our disgrace. And maybe today, some of you, especially you early risers at this nine o'clock service with Time Change Sunday, I know what some of you might be thinking too. David, I don't have that kind of testimony. That's cool too. When you hear a wonderful testimony that John Tizovich or someone gave of where they started and where they are now, there's a part of us who maybe grew up in church who never really played the prodigals. A part of us secretly we might not admit, oh, I wish I had a testimony like that. You know what my testimony is? I just grew up in church, fell in love with Jesus, and never left. Does that mean I'm perfect? Oh, no. There's a whole set of challenges that come with being close to the holy, where you take it for granted, and you get a little too comfortable and a little too superficial. But if you talk to anybody that's been way, way away in the prodigal, they would tell you, keep that second testimony you described. That first testimony comes with a heavy price. So you may not have that story. Maybe you don't have that kind of testimony. But let me ask you in that category a question. Have you let people in your world see who you really are? How long will you pretend to be a Christian? Is there anything that you're hiding or hiding behind that's keeping you from seeing God or others seeing you? Is there a scar that's keeping you from living this blessed life? Any masks that you have become so attached to that they're just your permanent face? One of the most unique and attractive aspects of Jesus was his utter transparency. He showed, he experienced all the human emotions. But think about it. Jesus, if, if ever there was a guy who let others see who he was, it was Jesus. And he didn't even show them all of who he was. They couldn't have tolerated it. They couldn't have taken it. They would, they would, they, they would fall in fear. But Jesus, to the degree he could, could let his closest friends see him in unveiled moments of joy. And sadness and anger and questioning and fatigue and suffering. And on the cross, Jesus, the Son's own vision of the Father was veiled as the Father had to look away. Separated by sin, he was separated from his Son. And I think for the first time in Jesus' life, he had a, a mask, a curtain, a veil between him and God. Because Jesus said on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the cool thing is that when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two. That temple, that structure of legalism, which was all about the outside and none about the inside, that was torn from Top to bottom. God tore it. Man would tear something that big from the bottom up. Because Jesus specializes in tearing down veils, removing masks, 
So when will you let the real you meet the real God and give you real forgiveness? That's what we're here to help you with. That's what it means to be pure in heart. Not perfect, pure in heart. And when we do that, we will see God.